looking for the puck is Parker. Couldn't play or stop by Cook for a long shot. He scores! Colorado wins the Stanley Cup! Colorado wins! Ewing Group at 4 30. Got a chance for the empty netter! Got it! Sackick will come out to receive it as captain. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark! Hockey's back, baby. Or at least it seems that way for now. We are in phase two of the NHL's resumption of play. And this resumption is going to involve a 24-team playoff with the four top teams from each conference battling out for seeds, uh, Avalanche being one of those teams in the Western Conference. So, man, I'm I'm pumped to be back in this chair, back talking about hockey. I'm only going to co- uh, talk about a couple of things today because, like I said, we're just in Phase 2. There's not much um, other than maybe who's going to land on the expanded roster. There's not much to talk about in terms of the avalanche just know that they are back on the ice i think as of today they're allowed to practice with 12 people rather than six which is super cool things are moving right along um but for this podcast i'm going to chat a little bit about my ideas regarding uh pay-per-view hockey and before you freak out and tell me my hockey's already free it's not i promise you you pay for your tv subscription um but yeah i'm going to talk a little bit about kind of what i think would be a a cool idea for the restarts and the resumption um, and kind of a, a way to, to see things going forward just because I think that there's an audience right now that isn't being um, given kind of the content that, they, that they're that they calling for. Um, and then after that, I'm going to talk with one of, my, uh, one of my favorite people in hockey journalism, Mr. Ryan S. Clark. He's from The Athletic. Um, the dude is damn good at what he does so i'm just going to chat with him kind of get and pick his brain a little bit and see see more about how he's doing and what he's dealing with uh during this kind of extenuating time these extenuating circumstances i just kind of want to get a feel um as to how he is handling and kind of what things have changed uh for him but first off let's talk about uh pay-per-view nhl and if you kind of want a more in-depth and uh, elaborate version of what I'm talking about here, feel free to go over to milehighhockey.com. You can check out my article. It's called Pay-Per-View NHL, What I Want and What Hockey Culture Needs. Uh, So basically, what I touch on is the fact that uh, I was was pretty big on UFC to begin with, but when they basically were the only sport on TV uh, during the quarantine, and there were no fans, I, I noticed something that caught my eye and actually added to the entertainment experience, which was uh, the chatter between corners and fighters and the fighters themselves. Uh, they were saying some things, you know, that's that are really cool things that you wouldn't hear if they were fans. Um, I posted a video in the article itself, and it kind of shows there's one where this fella is completely on this other guy's back, uh, punching him in the ear. And he says, sorry, man, it's a part of the job. And the guy says, what? And he says, part of the job. And the other fighter replies, yeah, it is what it is. And that was just kind of like, to me, that was an insight on, on these two fighters that that they, they, they're really calm, cool, and collected for two dudes that are in, like, you know, the heat 
of one of the most uh, grueling sports and dangerous sports. And I think there's something to be found there in terms of hockey. You know, uh, the ho- hockey and the fight game, it, uh, they have a lot in common, especially in terms of, uh, of unspoken meritocracy. Like, of course, there are written rules in UFC and there are written rules in the NHL. But there are also some rules that are unwritten, that go unspoken between professionals, stuff that guys just won't do, whether or not there's a a black and white rule for it. And that's kind of what I think is attractive about hockey. And I think uh, I can only speak for myself, but that's kind of been lost. Um, That's been lost and we've, as the NHL has geared itself more towards a younger audience. Now, I'm not saying we leave that younger audience behind because that young audience is important. That's who's going to watch it 10 years from now, 15 years from now. All I'm suggesting suggesting is you have more choices. And with those more choices come a little bit more exposure for two reasons. First of all, the entertainment value. I can't even like the, the the rabbit hole is so deep in terms of the way we can integrate technology and the way we can integrate uh, microphone use in order to capture some of the stuff and some of the banter between players, coaches and benches that otherwise have not ever been available unless you're in the arena. Um, there's ways to do that. Uh, and then, you know, the second reason is why? not (laughs) what 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 is the alternative right now to uncut hockey the alternative is the broadcasts that we've come to know and love but even those broadcasts are losing sight of part of why people came to love hockey now correct me if i'm wrong but the brawl in hockey town made the avalanche and the red wings fandom and fan base stronger, more committed, and more willing to attend and purchase things. If you would have put the Avalanche and Red Wings playoff series up for pay-per-view, you are damn sure that everyone is going to pay to watch it, especially during those days, because that's what it was like. It was a heavyweight bout. See, and I think there are too many lineages between hockey and the fight game to not explore those options. You know, think about it this way. In the pay-per-view option... The, the, the only downside to this with the access to audio would be that players are going to say some stuff that isn't PC. They're going to say some things that could get them in trouble. But my question to, to you and to the Players Association, because that's what most people said the Players Association would never allow such a thing. My question is, who are they trying to protect? They're not, gonna, they're not protecting players that can effectively chirp you know, without going too far they're not protecting players who can be vocal leaders without cutting the other team down they're protecting the guys who are going to say something that honestly shouldn't be said if you're ha- if you're on that platform so if anything this gives us the ability to unearth and monitor a culture that clearly needs fixing like if there's nothing to hide behind that's the problem right now is that so many players uh, so many of these these people that have have done and has, are saying things that don't necessarily belong in our game and in the culture, they're they're protected under this veil of of exclusivity. Um, the fact that we don't hear what happens 
on NHL benches and NHL in NHL locker rooms is exactly why what facilitates the abuse of that exclusivity. So that's just kind of my opinion. I touch a little bit more on what it could mean for the younger audience in the article. So if you've got the time, please go check that out. It's on milehighhockey.com. Up next, I am going to talk with Ryan Clark of The Athletic. Um, if you follow the Avalanche, you are very well aware of Ryan. Ryan is definitely one of the more relatable and reliable sources out there um, for Avalanche content and news. I know you're a busy guy. We'll just get right into it. Um, I read an article you wrote just the other day where you spoke with uh, Nazem Kadri about uh, some of the quirks of this resumption that is uh, in phase two right now in the NHL. Tell me, tell me what's, uh, what's been unique for a hockey journalist in the year 2020. You know, there's a lot of unique facets to kind of what's going on right now. And let's see, you can break it into three pieces. The first is just the overall suspension of play. I mean, people remember hearing about COVID-19. And at first, it kind of seemed like it was this far-off thing that was in another part of the world that may or may not have been creeping toward North America, if not globally. And you hear about it expanding in, in, in Italy and different parts of Europe on top of what we all saw in China. And the next thing you know, it is here in North America. And... It's strange because it felt like in a matter of days it went from maybe this is sort of a thing to, okay, let's be on full alert to, okay, everything is canceled and postponed. And so it's just how do you kind of deal with something that unexpected? I mean, journalists are used to dealing with breaking news, but on that kind of scale where it impacts everything, it's, it's a new experience for a lot of people and understandably so. So that's one way of looking at it. The second way of looking at it is, what was going to happen, not only just with sports, but the NHL as a whole. We all heard these different proposals being floated around about the draft return to play. Do they return to play? Do they not return to play? And so now what you're seeing with these different phases, is, especially as we talk about phase two, and it's like Nazem Kadri laid out, before it was just you show up to a rink, you go through security, and you just go do what you need to do like you have for the 10 years you'd been in the NHL. Whereas if now, like, he has to administer social distancing, making sure that his car is parked separately from someone else's car and that his hands are sanitized and he's wearing a mask and there's temperature checks. And, you know, hockey dressing rooms are extremely collegial places. And now it's so isolated to where you don't have that. And because of it, it's this different feel, this different dynamic. And not only that, but even just things players do, like go to dinner, hang out, they now have to be smart about those decisions as well because, again, how many times have we seen this week stories about, you know, this team or this collective group in a different sport where one person has COVID or, or, or several people have COVID? So, again, it's just something to consider. And as far as the third component about covering race, what makes this so different than, let's say, Kimalu or other situations we've seen is we saw it at the beginning of COVID where everybody talked about Tiger King. It was the thing that no one would stop talking about. And it was because everybody remained indoors and there were people trying to search for options and it just, that was kind of the one that people kept talking about. What happened with George Floyd, there's a lot of similarities in that while things were slowly reopening, a good chunk of the populace remained at home, were watching TV, they were on social. And this video became something that was just unavoidable. Whether you had one feeling or another, it was something everybody discussed, and that made its way to the NHL. So now you're seeing a league that really has not discussed this issue. Go ahead and try to face it in a full-on capacity or full-on for what they dealt with compared to previous years to where 
you have coaches, you have players, you have different people speaking up about race and racism. And now it's leading this even more interesting conversation about what does this look like when the games resume, but more importantly, what does this look like later down the road? So with Akeem Alou and the Vander Kane kind of coming to the foreground of uncovering uncovering racism and bigotry in hockey, um, alongside uh, America's cry for police reform, is now a hard time to write about hockey um, rather than, you know, some of these more pressing social issues? Or, you know, how does someone like you strike a balance during a time like this? Really, it's kind of like any story you write. At the end of the day, it's not about you as a reporter and what your opinions may or may not be. And that's why, for me personally, you don't really have opinions. You just look at things as here's a story, here are different sides to this story, try to present all the information possible, and let whoever's reading this make their own determination about what's being consumed. Of course, the difference here is you're talking about something that's really multi-layered, like race, that needs so much context, which is why for the story that we did, talking to Tyler Sagan, Connor Carrick, Brian Boyle, and Morgan Riley, it's asking these different questions, like what was your experience with race and diversity growing up where you guys did, and kind of giving people insight into this is what life is like for them, and it's giving them a chance to kind of be retrospective and say, this is what I experienced, and looking back, you wonder how did I not pick up on certain things before, which is something Tyler Sagan and Brian Boyle definitely discussed. And so when it comes to these sort of stories, again, the thing you have to keep in mind, Adrian, is first, these are going to be really difficult subjects. And with any difficult subject, you should take all sorts of care. Not saying you don't do that with stories to begin with, but it's so different to write a story explaining why the penalty kill was four for four versus racial constructs in North America as it relates to a sport where these conversations just don't simply happen. So really that would kind of be the key is just making sure that you're not only careful with the information that you're reporting, but you're making sure that everybody you talk to feels like they have an equal say, that everybody feels like what's being said is the most accurate, if not the 100% accurate, which it should be 100% accurate representation of what they told you as a journalist. And I think that's, uh, that's what makes you good at what you do. Um, I think that was on full display in your piece about the Quincy family and uh, their quest for the best care for their son, Axel. That was such a, uh, a personal endeavor, such an insight on such a personal story. What do you want readers to take away from your story about the Quincy family? It's how open they were because that's such a personal topic to where they have a lot that they're dealing with. I mean, there's the facet of being parents with a young child who's barely more than a year old dealing with something like brain cancer, which no matter the age, brain cancer, any form of cancer is going to be challenging. But to be that young, that's one part of this. Another part is all the moving pieces of making sure that, you know, you're able to get him to where he needs to be for his care. And not only that, but with them flying to Philadelphia and not knowing if they're going to be in Philadelphia post-surgery or Boston or whatever, it's being able to kind of decipher what's the best route while also making sure you handle the things like, you know, the fact that they do have another son and you do handle the things that come with being a married couple with two kids, but it's just now been amplified by the fact that you're a married couple traveling across the nation with a, a son that's 14 months old dealing with brain cancer. It's something that you guys are all trying to fight. So it's one of those things where when you have that many things going on, 
it's all on people to determine how open they choose to be. And that's where it comes back to the idea of with people being open, you respect the fact that they're open. And if you need to ask questions to clarify, you do those things. But at the end of the day, for something like that, it's just you want to get the most information possible, but you also have to toe the line between being respectful because you're still talking about people's personal and private lives. Some people might be fine with that. Some people might not be. Some people might say, okay, up to a certain point. And all you just try to do is make sure that you're falling within those, with, I won't say constraints because that's not the right word, but you're just trying to work with, you're trying to operate within a certain framework to make sure that what you're doing is something that not only tells people what's going on, but it's not invasive at the same time. Yeah, and folks, that's an excellent piece. So if you haven't gone and read on uh, theathletic.com that story, it's truly, it's kind of a touching thing. It's it's moving how um, the league and the teams around the league and players around the league have been there in support during this, this kind of weird time with travel restrictions and stuff like that. Um, you know, I noticed that it seems like the players that you've spoken with have all mentioned kind of embracing this newfound family time. Would you say that that's the silver lining for the players? Certainly, because look, when you're these players, your whole life is spent toward chasing one goal, which is the NHL. And then it's spent toward chasing even more goals, like winning a Stanley Cup championship, uh, being a captain, a scoring champion, uh, you know, whatever is kind of the, the, the objectives for each individual player. But then within that, you have a family, and then comes that balance of, how do you still meet these goals, but how do you become the best husband and, and father you can possibly be? So, you know, talking to Nazem Kadri, he talked about how, like, he's like, look, it might seem strange to some people to be like, yeah, there's this joy you see in watching your daughter do everyday things, but when you are a hockey player, you may not always get those opportunities. So let's just kind of, like you said, let's look at March, April, May, and June. Under regular circumstances, this is the po- that's the point in the year, especially March and April, where games are every other day or night, where you're playing home and homes or just back to backs. You know, one minute you're in Denver, the next minute in your Chicago, wherever the case may be, and trying to balance that while making sure that you are there for these moments provides their own challenges, and that only intensifies once you get to the NHL playoffs. Whereas if now, because of what's going on. Players have had the chance to do the workouts and do the necessary things they can, you know, given their current home situations. But they've also had the opportunity to to see their kids and spend time with them. And we've heard players joke in the beginning of this whole thing about, like, I went from playing hockey to all of a sudden teaching math and, you know, all these other things that kind of come with homeschooling that humanizes these players. And now they're about to go through a stretch where, depending on how long your playoff run, uh, last, you might be gone for several weeks at a time to possibly even longer. So again, it's all about a balance for a lot of these players. Yeah, and I imagine striking a balance uh, during these extenuating circumstances can be difficult. What would you say has been the silver lining for yourself during all of this change? don't really know if there is one just because not being funny, but being a reporter covering this stuff, it's never good to give an opinion. Um, so there is... There really isn't one. It's just kind of been more about focusing on the work and making sure are you doing the best you can because, you know, while, yes, I cover the avalanche, I'm also covering race and hockey. And it's about making sure, like, okay, are you paying enough attention 
to both of these subjects because while race is still something people are reading about, whether they want to or not, they're reading about it, there's also still a contingent of fans who read you because you cover the Colorado Avalanche. And, you know, whether they have an interest in race or not doesn't matter. It goes back to the fact that you want to make sure that you're serving your readership. And so fans do have questions like, well, what does Phase 2 look like? And who will be on the expanded roster? And, you know, will that include the Shane Bowers and Connor Timmons? But it's also other things like, yeah, what is Gabriel Landeskog and Nazem Kadri up to? Or, like, what could the draft look like? Or does this round robin benefit them? And because they've had time off, are they the team in the strongest position? Because they finally have everyone healthy. So it's really just been about trying to draw that balance and make sure that you uh, you keep as many people engaged and interested uh, with what they feel they're hopefully being provided. So with the NHL resumption well on its way, uh, kind of in the hor- on the horizon, what uh, what have you been told in terms of your access on game day? Uh, how will you be allowed to cover these di- these events? Or have you even been informed of that? You know, that's still a big mystery. Just a lot of people are trying to figure out whether you are a writer, whether you are a regional sports network like an Altitude or, or a Nesson, um, whether you are national like NBCSN or Sportsnet or TSN up in Canada. Like, that's kind of the question everybody's trying to figure out because when you look at the current landscape of sports right now, let's take the NBA, for example. The NBA said, boom, here's our date, here's where we're going to be, there you go. Now, all of a sudden, you look at what's going on in Orlando, and there are stories coming out about the cases in Florida just increasing. You see stories about how there are more employees at the Orlando International Airport who've been diagnosed with COVID. Now, all of a sudden, these best laid plans, there are some variables that people may not have seen coming that doesn't make you think twice about what you want to do. And that's the same thing you know, with media coverage, because the challenge for the NHL and the people they're working with is how do you find fairness in a situation where people are going to say they don't feel there's fairness? And Gabriel Lambscog addressed that when he spoke with media, talking about the playoff system, where it's like, look, there's going to be people who say this isn't fair, but this was possibly the most fair outcome that could have happened. And that's probably how it's going to be with a lot of things, whether it's related uh, to media, hotels, travel, whatever. Anything that is linked to the NHL right now, it's about trying to find the most fair solution with the idea that you're going to have people who say it isn't fair, you're going to have people who say it is. But again, it's all about how do you try to hit the right notes, knowing that not everybody might, might not want to dance to that song, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I've already seen people on Twitter and whatnot essentially calling into question the legitimacy of the trophy if it if the Stanley Cup is awarded in 2020. I'm of the opinion that all the teams are playing under the same parameters, so it's fair. In fact, I, I think it might be one of the hardest cups to ever win if everything goes to plan. Just based on the fact that there are more teams involved in the playoff means you have a less uh, less odds of winning. So that's just my opinion. Uh, but, you know, all of this change has caused leagues to reevaluate their entertainment experience uh, like the UFC has been fortunate in that uh, the communication between the corners and the fighters and the fighters themselves has been the kind of the bonus to their not being fans in the arena what do you think the NHL could do in terms of their entertainment experience to kind of heighten it the thing is there's all sorts of options now because if you or the NHL or a broadcaster in some way, this is a chance for you to hit the reset button and experiment with things. And it's not to say that fans may not have an opinion one way or the other. 
certainly that appears to be the case. But it gives you an opportunity to experiment with something because here's the minimum. The minimum is you're going to have people watching. They're going to want to see sports. And from there, it's about what do you do to sort of, you know, add and amplify to that. So if you're the NHL, do you draw a page from what college football does with its national championship game where they have a coach's film room? Where, of course, it's broadcast on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, pretty sure the Ocho has something, and even ESPN3. And one of the channels they have concentrates on this is what this game is like from the perspective of a coach. So they'll have four or five college football coaches and a moderator, and the moderator is basically just like, hey, have at it. And you have these different coaches, so they'll sit there and dissect the play, and they're like, okay, right here when they decided to run a three-receiver set, what the X receiver did there, it was supposed to be this, but because the coverage was covered too, this receiver made a check at the line that he communicated to his quarterback. Maybe that's something you do with NHL coaches. Maybe you take coaches from the seven teams that aren't there and you have them kind of provide that sort of level of analysis. Or maybe you go in another direction. Either way, you're going to have options. It's just a matter of finding the option that they think is going to meet the needs of a television audience that's just ready to watch these games in general. Yeah, and it's it's cool because it's an opportunity, like you mentioned, it's an opportunity for the NHL just to kind of maybe add some things and try some things out and see how how they are received, given that all this is already different than what we're used to. It's the best time uh, to try new things. Absolutely. Uh, Ryan, thank you, man, so much for coming on. It's it's really cool to chat with you. Um, I really enjoy all of your work, and uh, it's cool to, to know that you've come a long way since uh, your 12-year-old dreams of writing for the NHL. Now you write for the Colorado Avalanche. That's pretty awesome. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, it's just wild to hear you say that because it's kind of like, yeah, I guess I did tell the world this is my dream since I was a 12-year-old and people remember that. Like, they think, like I'll say it before we end, like, I think that's kind of been the really strange part in all this is, like, not saying that I don't just look at this as a job. I mean, certainly I'd look at it as more than that, but just the way I've gotten a chance to meet people in the stand base and the fact, like, not only, like, do they make the effort, but, like, they get to know these details about you to the point where, like, it's this sort of personal, intimate feel it's unlike anything like I've certainly experienced and it's just, it's been phenomenal to be here. So I've got no complaints whatsoever. We don't have any complaints either, man. You keep up the good work and uh, I promise you, you'll be pleasantly surprised by just how much people come to know and learn about you. I don't know if that's a good thing or a scary thing. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Ryan Clark of the athletic. Uh, Thanks again. That's really awesome that he came on. Uh, an excellent conversation. I hope that wasn't uh, something other than what you folks were expecting. I know I didn't too, touch too much on the Colorado Avalanche, but I did I did kind of want to get to know more about Ryan himself just because he does such a good job, and uh, I don't really think he was going to tell me anything about the Avalanche that you folks can already go to his uh, content uh, catalog and get for yourself. I just kind of wanted to offer a little bit of insight on Ryan himself and kind of how he approaches his process because I think that's a pretty valuable thing to 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 know and to learn as well. So once again, Ryan, thank you again, man, for coming on. Um, that's going to do it for today's podcast. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please follow us at at Elevation Pod. That's at at Elevation Pod. Um, if that's too hard to understand, follow Mile High Hockey at at Mile High Hockey. You can also go to milehighhockey.com and you'll get access to the at Elevation Podcast as well. We are on 
uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So please smash that subscribe button, share with your friends, share with your avalanche lovers, and uh, have a good day. Thank you.